Do you remember I said, and I've shared this many times, about Satanists or those that have an agenda will put certain things in children's candy or chocolate bars? Well, and a lot of time that uh, is issued because uh, in some of these groups uh, they're looking for children even though they don't realize it and they don't understand it, if they can put an object in a candy where they can cut themselves, that's considered a sacrifice to the devil. Well, and I've said this for years, well, there was two reports today, one from uh, Mrs. So you, you, you're nodding your head, you've heard that? You've heard that too? Thank you. That the, it's under investigation by the Peel uh, Police Department that they have discovered a needle in a chocolate bar that was a needle, and, and who knows, it's not just the needle, there's certain things, they pray over the chocolates, they, they kind of commit this, it's like an offering to the enemy, and whoever eats this and sheds blood is committed to the devil. And they found another in Toronto, so I guess some chocolates, but there was a thumbtack also, uh, and this is just recent, just today, and, I, and my daughter, God bless her, so she's very much against all of this and is really passionate about uh, this particular... Um, element of, of, of Halloween and what, what Halloween's all about. And so she posted uh, the, the news report that came out of CP24. So you can check it for yourself and CTV News. Google it, you can research it, go right ahead. And she posted a segment of my sermon where I preached on exactly what happens. Of course, not everywhere, but in, in many homes. And people that, because she knows a lot of people because she's in real estate, and all these people, they, 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 they saw this, they were so moved, they ended up listening to my message that I preached on Sunday. I don't know how many, and that of course gave me an opportunity in Katrina for me to share with these people, and I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to share with them. She's going to invite them, because she has a Bible study that I, I, I speak with on, and so she's going to invite these girls and these people to the study. It's all because of something like this that we talked about on Sunday. You see, and, and it, it's a reality out there, and I'm just, I'm just excited that uh, we're able to at least, uh, you know, share this, and people are aware of this, this is what's happening, here's, here's some proof of what's going on, and uh, so, brothers and sisters, we're in a warfare, and uh, we're here to expose the darkness that is around us. But for tonight, we are looking at the book of Joshua. <laughs> Thank you for that, amen. I'm, I'm glad that it's a powerful book. It's a, that's why I wanted to bring it and share some powerful truths. We look at chapter 7. Tonight, we'll begin at verse number 1. We're continuing this series. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Camry the son of Zabadi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now, pause before we read number two. Notice the children of Israel. This is one man who committed a sin. But the anger of the Lord was against the children of Israel. Keep that in mind because we're going to be discuss discussing that a little bit later. Verse 2. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. 
And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Ah, let not all the people go up, but just let a few, two, three hundred thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. Ah, Joshua, don't worry about it. We just came through a major, major warfare in Jericho. We, AI's much smaller. Just send a few and we'll take care of this problem. Hmm. So there went up thither of the people, about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. They fled. And the men of Ai smote of them about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shibarim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. I'm going to pause right there. This information came to Joshua late in the morning, early evening. We're not exactly sure what, but I want you to notice this man's pain. He cried out to God till the evening hour. And normally when the Bible speaks of the evening hour, it's after six o'clock. So many scholars would tell you that he could have prayed and cried out eight hours, seven hours, nine hours. We're not sure. The point is, he poured out his soul before God. And he and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads, a form of contrition, a form of, of uh, repentance. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? But to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and shall run us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? They're going to make fun of us. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Joshua, get up, just get up. Wherefore lies thou thus? upon thy face? Why, why are you still on your face? Israel has sinned, Joshua. And they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have even taken the accursed thing, and have also stolen and disembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore except ye excuse me, except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Stop right there. So Joshua, I'm not going to continue to go before you and bless you unless you deal with this problem that I'm going to reveal to you in just a little while but you cannot go forward I will not go with you unless you deal with this problem oh there's a lot of things here going on let me we're gonna talk about that what that means 
But I just want to make sure you underscore that. Because that is extremely important. And by the way, that principle still applies today. Oh, just do it. We're going to go places today. Verse 13. So sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. And some of us wonder why we're going through some things and why we seem to be struggling in some things and we just keep going through this over and over and over and over and there never seems to be any victory and we keep over and over taking laps around Mount Sinai you see what God has said unless you deal with this Joshua I'm not gonna go with you you're, you're not gonna progress spiritually you're gonna stay in a rut you're gonna continue to go round and round and you're not gonna enter into your place of destiny. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household with the Lord shall take shall come by man, man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. He, all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in all of Israel. So Joshua rose up in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family. See, they're casting lots now, okay? And when the lot falls on a certain tribe, that's how they knew. And they brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarahites, and he brought the family of the Zarahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Notice, the, 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 it's like a domino effect. Watch the procedures. And he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Camry, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give... I pray thee glory to God of Israel and make confession unto him and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus, and thus have I done. When I saw... Okay. We'll stop right there. Okay, well... We'll stop there. We'll, get, we'll take it later. Wow. We have an incredible portion of Scripture here. And uh, we want to break it down. There are so many life lessons in chapter 7. And I want to really focus on this entire story. Because I think today we don't like to preach this stuff. We, we don't like to engage ourselves in dealing with anything of this nature. And the reason why a lot of people don't like to speak on this particular theme is because we don't want to be too offensive. We don't want to offend people. 
And so we stay away from any kind of correction. We stay away from preaching on sin. We certainly don't want to preach about hell because we don't want to offend anybody. And so we've turned God into some cosmic uh, genie where he just wants to come and bless you and just show you nothing but flowers and candies and, and he just loves you so much that it doesn't matter how you live or what you do it's okay because, because he loves you so much and you don't have to, to do anything because he loves you so much you don't have to take accountability of your life because he loves you so much and we've developed a people who have become concerned more about what we can get from God than pleasing God. Because if we're taught that God just loves you so much and He wants to bless you so much, then that's going to be our focus. And we're not really too concerned about taking spiritual inventory about our lives, how we can live a life that's pleasing to God. That, that is not as important anymore. Because we don't want to be too offensive. We don't want to turn people away. We want to make our services, and we want to make God attractive so we can kind of make it inclusive so everybody can be, can come, and we don't want to touch subjects that might cause people to be offended, so we want to stay away from certain things like, like dealing with, with what's happening in the world today, and as a result of this, woke, the woke movement was born, and the woke movement will tell you so many things that you know that the Bible speaks of and yet we don't want to offend these people so, so I don't mind offending God but I, 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 I don't want to offend you so you continue in your lifestyle oh, what, what, you're identifying as a cat now, that's okay oh, oh, I, I, and, and what, there's more than two genders, oh that's okay it's all right. God loves you and God will forgive you and God, God, God understands the, the signs of our times and He's a loving, merciful God so it doesn't matter what you, how you live, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what takes place behind closed doors because God is all loving and merciful. And so we don't want to touch Joshua chapter 7 because because it, 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 it's, it's too offensive. Brothers and sisters, the backdrop to chapter 7 is chapter 6, and Israel has conquered an incredible foe called Jericho. Mighty Jericho! Great wall, massive walls! So massive you can have chariot races on the top of these walls. Jericho was known all over was considered to be a stronghold, one of the greatest strongholds in all of the land of Canaan. And they were on a spiritual high and a physical high, to say the least. They were filled with self-confidence, pride. But you know, friends, that can be a serious problem. And how many times have you heard me say over this pulpit, we can handle poverty, I believe, a lot, better than we can handle prosperity because if we're not careful if God blesses us with prosperity 
something happens to the mind. If God blesses you with, with uh, uh, something that will cause your name to circulate and you become well known, for, that's good. But you've got to be careful when God begins to promote you. You've got to be careful when God begins to, to start blessing you in certain ways. You gotta, because, because the flesh and the devil can come and can disrupt everything that God wants to do because of an attitude. They just came through a victory, a glorious victory, and they felt overconfident. But you see, now they are more vulnerable than they've ever been. More vulnerable to defeat because of their pride and their self-reliance. And you've heard me say, when does the devil come to you? He comes to you in two different areas in your life. When you're at your lowest, ah, you're terrible. Look at you. Look at, how, look at all the mistakes. Nobody nobody's wants you. Look what just, he just left you. Look, nobody's going to want to be with you. Look at you. And then they'll come to you when you're at your highest. Wow. Just graduated with honors. Got a PhD. People are saying, whoa, just look at you. Look how smart. Look how intelligent. Oh. And they'll come and tell you, you know what? I am. I'm pretty good. Man, I am so I am smarter than him. Look what I did. Look what I accomplished. Look what I, 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 look what I did. And the devil comes when you're at at a high and he comes to you when you're at a low and tonight we're gonna look at some incredible principles that will dissect this text verse by verse and we'll look at some life lessons that we can can apply into our own lives principles that begin with S number one I want you to notice the source of their defeat the source of their defeat and what is the source sin yeah yeah sin we don't like calling a couple of preachers that are very well known I won't mention their name they, he doesn't want to use the word sin anymore he says no 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 we'll just use the word mistakes honest if I tell you his name you will know him don't want to talk about this subject in our church mistakes made a mistake that's okay no it was flagrant, blatant sin among the people caused this defeat. You see, Joshua sent a team from Jericho to Ai, a few miles away. And they got a report. And the report was, oh, Joshua, there's no problem. We're going to defeat this. It's a smaller community. They don't have big walls like Jericho. Their army isn't that strong. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it if we... We're able to deal with Jericho, then there's no problem. We're going to be able to deal with AI. Oh yeah, I like to speak to those reporters and say, well, what did you do to defeat the Jericho anyway? What, what, you just walked around the walls. You didn't do anything except walk. You won the victory by simply walking around the walls. Oh. But you see, success can cause you to become delusional. Success can cause you to think something about yourself that's not even there. You ever talk to people and they, 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 you, you know something is blatantly wrong, but they just don't see it? They're completely delusional? 
They were delusional to think that somehow, because they're such a great nation, that, that, that they defeated this, this nation, this vast army, this city called Jericho. Ah, oh, my friends, how we need to be careful when we experience great victory, that we don't become vulnerable to the temptation of pride and arrogance. And my friends, let me tell you something about arrogance. You can smell arrogance as it comes in the door. Let me tell you. You can smell it a mile away. Someone who's filled with arrogance, how that person composes, how he sits, how he walks, how he looks. You can smell it. It walks in before you actually walk through the door. You see, when you're successful, you might think and say to yourself, look, look what I did, look what I've done, look at, look at all the things I've accomplished. But let's, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, because you see, God in all of His wisdom, in all of His majesty, understood that this could happen. Because we as human beings, we have a tendency, our flesh has a tendency to want to take credit for things. Our flesh likes it. Pride likes it. And that's why we got to be careful because, oh, you know, my heart, my heart. Yeah, but your heart is desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17. I can't trust my heart. I can't trust my flesh. That's why I need to bring it under subjection, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and following. That's why I got to deny myself and pick up the cross and follow Jesus. Look what the Bible says. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led you for these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to prove thee to know what is in your heart whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and to feed thee with manna which thou knewest not neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone but by Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy remnant waxed not old upon thee, neither did the feet, your foot swell. Imagine that. They didn't even swell these 40 years. Thou also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chastened thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks and water and fountains and depths and springs out of the valley and the hills. A land of wheat and barley and vines and figs and pomegranates, a land of oil and olive and honey. And the land wherein thou shalt eat without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything. A land whose stones are in and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten, watch this now, and art full then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for God land for, for the good land that which he hath given thee. Beware, here it is, that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I've commanded thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein and then thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied and you've got all this success and you've got so much that thine heart not be lifted up 
and forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land from the house of bondage. We'll stop there. That you won't forget that I am the one that did this. I'm the one that led you. I'm the one that gave you. I'm the one that fed you. I'm the one that protected you. Don't forget that. Don't take it upon yourselves like you had some power within you to do these things. I provided for everything you have, O Israel. Don't forget it. They forgot it. And you know, friends, if we're not careful, we too can forget it. But when do we forget it? Usually when we are successful. Usually when we are being blessed. And so as Israel entered into the, to Ai and fight, they were defeated. Sin overcame them. And I see something, and I see, you know, the scriptures, that's why I love the Bible so much. And that's why if you come to a Bible study and somehow, you know, I have the honor of preaching or teaching, I will always do my best to bring scripture to, with scripture. The Bible always confirms the Bible. Never teach or preach and just use one scripture. Try to find a scripture that is parallel to another scripture and you find another scripture that confirms another scripture. That's how you do effective Bible study. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, we see something very interesting. We see a very similar scenario. If you notice in chapter 4, they're fighting the Philistines, and the Philistines put themselves in array, verse 2, against Israel. Verse 3, And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath these Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant, of the Lord out of Shiloh unto that when it cometh among us it may save us out of the hand of the enemies so 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 Israel saying here come the Philistines those nasty Philistines they're huge they're massive they're strong we can let's so hey let's get the ark let's let's bring the ark let's show the Philistines the ark they were ter ter terrified of the ark because they saw the power of God. They saw what the ark, because the, they, they understood the presence of God. And they seen in the past what happened with the ark. So they're saying, bring out the ark. Let them, let them see. We got God's power with us. Just show them the ark. Mm-hmm. Okay. So far, so good. So let's fetch it. So the people sent Shiloh, and they might bring the Ark of the Covenant, and we look at verse number 7, and the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come in this camp, and they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing hereof. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are gods that smote the Egyptians with the plagues. They used gods. They didn't even understand that they were that the God of the Ark of the Israel were one God. But they serve so many gods, they figured it's the same thing with Israel. It's amazing how the Bible is, eh? Even the plurality of the gods is anointed and led by, because that's what the Philistines thought. They thought that Israel in the beginning were serving many different gods. See how accurate the Bible is? 
Verse 9, be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines. So now they're trying to encourage them, themselves. Be ye not servants unto the Hebrews, for they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten. What? And they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter for the fellow of Israel, 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons, Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. And there ran a man, Benjamin, out, and came to Eli. And we know what happened. He fell and he died. And his daughter-in-law called Ichabod, the power of God, the spirit of God has departed. What in the world happened here? Can I tell you what happened? Thank you for asking. So here are the, the Hebrews. They're confident the ark is with us. They've seen God's power. Uh, yeah, that's, that's true, but how are you living, Mr. Israelite? What, what are you doing to serve God? Like, have, have you changed since you've seen God's power? Have, are you a Hebrew by name or are you a Hebrew by practice? Are you... A Hebrew that has experienced the covenant blessing of God? Are you walking, are you pleasing God in the way you live? Are you listening to what Moses, are you following the commandments? Well, that's not important, Pastor, because we have the ark. We need, so let's get the ark and we'll bring it. Let's put fear in the Philistines. Let's take the, the ark now becomes some kind of good luck charm, you see. The ark becomes some kind of magic wand of just the ark and woof and God's power comes and destroys the enemies. Well, nothing. We can do what we want, but as long as we have the ark, as long as I have a cross hanging around my neck, as long as I got my Bible underneath my pillow, as, as, as long as I have some kind of lucky, you know, God is... You can't fool God. You can't mock God. Thousands died because of this frivolous attitude. How many people, how many believers look at God? And I keep saying this. My wife says, you've got to change saying these things. But how many people look at God as some cosmic bellhop? How many times do you hear me say that? But it's true. It keeps coming back to that. Some cosmic Santa Claus. God is no cosmic Santa Claus. He's no bellhop. He doesn't exist for you or for me. We exist for Him. So, thousands died because of their sin, lack of conviction. And so, let's fast forward to chapter 7. Look what happens now. And it came to pass, verse 2, the ark abode in Kirith-Jerim, 20 years, and all of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto the house of Israel, saying, If you return to God, hallelujah, with all your hearts, and put away these strange gods, if you repent of your sin. Really? If you turn back to God, repent and turn back to God, return with all your hearts and put away these strange gods, of the Ashtaroths, the Lord, and serve Him only. Follow His way, serve Him. We try to make Jesus inclusive. My friends, Christianity is not inclusive. He's not a way, He's the way. There's nothing more offensive to this world when you bring a word that tells you this is the only way. That's why 
Christianity is hated. When you start preaching Jesus, people say, oh, we believe in Jesus, somebody says. We know he was born from Mary, we believe that. Oh, really? Wonderful. Do you believe he's the Son of God? Do you believe he's God and he rose again? And you believe he's the way, the truth, and the life? Well, no, I, I stopped there. Now, now, hold on a second. There's a... Jesus and his teachings were never meant to be inclusive. Make it appealing for everybody. Oh, you want to do that? Sir? Come on in. You want to practice homosexuality and bisexuality and you want to go enter the... You, come on in, no problem. God loves you. Excuse me. It doesn't, this doesn't... This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. No wonder the church is so weak. We make the message thin, powerless, sugarcoat the message of the gospel making it inclusive for everybody there's no power there's no depth and so some of these mega churches they've got all kinds of people coming because it's attractive oh this is an attractive message full of sugar and nice people want to feel good and so they come to hot tub Christianity Got goosebumps feeling warm, and I like it here. Oh, I just love it here. So, man, give me a cup of coffee. Let me sit down here. Oh, you, you, can you give me a sandwich while you're at it? I'm, I'm just really good. Yeah, let me just have a. Oh, you, oh, you want to go in the lobby? Let me go in the lobby. I'll pick up a sandwich. I'll bring it in here. I'm just. Excuse me? What? 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 No reverence, no nothing. Just come on in, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Really? Return to the Lord and put away these gods and come to Him with holy fear. We don't, we, 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 we don't like to talk about that, that's for sure. Then the children of Israel put away Belim and the Ashtaroths and served the Lord only. And Samuel gathered all of them into Mispah and he prayed for the Lord before the Lord. And they gathered together and drew water and poured it over before the Lord. And he took a fast and he cried out to God, says, We have sinned against the Lord, repented of their sins. They turned to God, they turned away from the Ashtaroths. The poles of degradation and from the dens of devilry. And they repented. And Samuel led the way. Oh, for men like Samuel today. He says, We've sinned. And when the Philistines heard that Israel gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Isn't it amazing? Before the Philistines were afraid of the Israelites. And now the Israelites are afraid of the Philistines. Wow. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord for our God and for us, that he will save us. Notice their humility. They weren't humble before. Oh, you Philistines, let me get the ark. It's just full. Let's just take it easy. Relax. God's going to take care of it. You can have a good time. Don't worry about it. The ark is here. We don't see the same attitude here. We don't see humility. We see humility now. We see brokenness. Brokenness, brokenness, brokenness. 
And Samuel took a, a lamb and offered it. And Samuel cried unto the Lord, verse 9, and the Lord heard him. And Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to battle against the Israel, but the Lord thundered a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines, and he brought confusion upon them, smote them, and they got the victory. Wow. What happened, Israel? What happened to you? See, Israel now has become a little cocky. Oh, let's just fetch the ark, like we just read in 1 Samuel 4. Let's just bring it, as some good luck charm will be just fine. God will deliver us, no problem. We see the source of their defeat was sin and arrogance and pride. Number two, notice the sorrow of defeat. Verses 6 and 9, Joshua rents his clothes. Joshua just poured out his heart before God. Joshua doesn't understand. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know that Achan has sinned. He's, he's a man of God. He doesn't understand. He just cries out to the Lord. What's going on? I don't understand, Lord. How has this happened? Why did this happen? He feels sorry. He says, should we have stayed the east side of Jordan, Lord? He says, Lord, what about your name? What about your reputation? Joshua's feeling terrible. You know, that's exactly what Moses did. When God was so upset with the Israelites, he was going to wipe them out. Moses said the exact thing that Joshua says. What about your reputation, Lord? You see, friends, you know what true godliness is? You know what true spirituality is? Lord, I'm more concerned about honoring you and pleasing you. I want to make sure my testimony pleases you, that I have a testimony that brings glory to your name. You've got to ask yourselves, why do you think you were born? To bring glory to God, to worship Him. And we need to keep asking ourselves, Lord, do, do I bring glory to your name? Does my life glorify your name? Does my life shine for you? Because at the end of the day, friends, that's all that really matters. Not how big your ministry is, not how smart you are, not how many times you've read the Bible over. Have, has your life made a difference in this world? Have lives been touched because of you. Do your children see Jesus in you? Oh. Do your children want to spend time with you because they see something in mom and dad that brings glory to God? Lord, what about your name? But the Lord responds to him. He says, Joshua, verse 10, get off your face. Get off your face. I'm going to tell you something. You see, friends, 
There's a time to pray, but there's a time you got to move. There's a time you got to do something. Joshua's been praying for a while, and now God says, Okay, Joshua, I want you to get off your face, because I'm going to tell you what needs to be done. You prayed to me, and now I'm going to reveal something to you. Did you notice the pattern? Some, I, this is what drives me. People, this is what, I, honestly, I, I get, folks, I've been around, and I can definitely, if I can tell you how many times, well, pastor, God spoke to me about something. Wonderful. He does that all the time. Pastor, you know, I, 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 I had to prophesy this. Wonderful. That's beautiful. Uh, and, and you know, pastor, uh, I, I, in the spirit I was told to, wonderful, wonderful. And then, and then if, I, if I go a little deeper and I ask that individual, and we find out that this individual has no prayer life, that this individual uh, has no true commitment to God, but God keeps talking to this person. How does that make sense to you? My Bible tells me that Joshua was crying out to God, seeking him, and God spoke to him. Friends, that's the pattern. All these so-called prophets today, and all these so... I can't judge them all, but I can tell you according to the word of God, God speaks to someone who's hungering and thirsting after him. Now that doesn't mean that God will do something to somebody who doesn't know him. We see that all the time. God spoke to Cyrus and called him his servant and asked Cyrus, the king of Persia, to release the Jews from captivity. That's a different ballgame. But when you're a supposed believer and you're not praying and seeking God, but you have a word all the time, something is wrong. It doesn't work that way. Amos 3.7, I will reveal my secrets unto my servant. Amos 3.7. John chapter 14, verse 21, if you obey me and follow me, I will manifest myself unto you. Obedience and following. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the earth, showing himself strong to those who are committed to God will not be mocked. And you expect God to speak to you and you're not praying and seeking God, you're not hungering after God. When the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is saying to ask, seek and knock and it shall be opened. Do you know that that's written in the present participle? It means to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Oh, pastor, I prayed about it. You prayed once or two, you didn't get the answer, and you give up. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. That's what it's... James chapter 5, verse 16. The effectual fervent. The effectual fervent. The effectual fervent. means continual. Passion. Prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Josh is praying. Repented. He ripped it. It wasn't even his fault. And God speaks to him. Okay, Josh, I'm going to tell you now. I'm going to tell you. Joshua gets up. God gives him a word. And now he obeys it. He got busy doing something. So there's a time to pray and seek God, but there's a time to work, to be involved. 
to get involved, to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And so Joshua now is going to obey what God instructs him to do to find out what the problem is. Now he could have been, he could have said no, he could have been comfortable in just doing what he's doing, but no, he responded. He was busy. And sometimes, friends, we get into trouble because we're not busy. What am I trying to say? Stay with me. How many remember King David when he was supposed to go out to war and fight the battles? He should have been busy. I think Second Samuel chapter 11. So he said, you know what, I'm taking a day off. I should be battling with my nation. I should be going into war as God told me. But you know what, I'm tired. I want to relax today. So he decided to relax and all of a sudden he sees somebody taking a bath. And lust began to well up within him. And ended up committing adultery with this woman and committing murder to cover up his sin. This would have never happened if he obeyed the Lord and got busy. Joshua obeys the Lord. Says, okay Lord, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. And he gets involved. The Lord tells Joshua, I'm going to give you exactly how to deal with this issue. But the problem is sin. And now I'm going to give you the solution. What do we see? We see the sorrow of defeat. Now we're going to see the solution. What is the solution? Verse number 13. Verse number 13. Watch the solution. Sanctify the people. And say, sanctify yourselves against, uh, against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. You're going to stay where you are until you get rid of your sin. Woo! Man! Imagine preaching this message on a Sunday morning. Today, in this generation, you know how many views you'd get on YouTube? Maybe a hundred, maybe. Maybe. Nobody wants to hear about this. Let me tell you something, friends. Sin and repentance has always been God's desire for His people from Genesis to revelation he gives a solution to the problem somebody has sinned now you don't think God could have dealt with Achan by himself but he would wouldn't have learned much he wanted to teach Israel something that is extremely important. Extremely important. And so now we come to the selection of the guilty person. We have the solution. You need to repent. We have the sorrow. We have the source. 
Now look at the selection of the guilty person. God now is going to give a prescription. He's going to show Joshua how to deal with this issue. He's going to give him a description and a prescription on how to end up finding out who this person is. Now you can understand something. There's two and a half million people here. Two and a half million people. How are you going to find out? Verse 14. I'll tell you how. Notice, for, in the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and ye shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the family thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by household, and the household which the Lord shall take or shall, shall come man by man. So now he's telling us how that's going to happen. You're going to find out which, which tribe it's from. And we know that they casted lots in doing this. And then you cast your lot. And, and, and of course that doesn't apply today. This was an Old Testament practice. In the New Testament it happened. It happened when, this, when we wanted to find the, the next deacon. Remember Matthias replaced who? Exactly. They casted lots. But it stopped at that point, that was the last time lots was ever used in the Bible. And so they would cast lots, and the lot would fall upon Judah. So they figured, okay, there is the tribe of Judah. So, so this man comes from the tribe of Judah. Thank you, Lord, but, but we need to get more specific. They casted lots again, and they found out uh, where, where the family was from. They said there was a large family. The father had a son, had a son, had a daughter, all kinds of people here. And then they kept casting lots till they came to the household and finally to the very man. Absolutely incredible. Just to imagine a whole community was narrowed down to one individual and they casted lots until that person was identified. Imagine how you would have felt. Everything was God-filtered. God arranged it that way. Verse number 16. The first lot fell on the tribe of Judah. And so now Joshua knew which tribe. Verse number 17. He found the family, the Zarahites. Third lot fell on Zebedee. The eight, verse number 18. Then, the fe, then it finally fell upon Achan. Verse number 18. Look what the Bible says. And he brought his household man by man. And Achan, Achan, the son of Camry, the son of Zebedee, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah was taken. They were able to zero it down to this individual. Wow. You see, my friends, God narrowed it down from two and a half million to one person. What are the odds of that unless God is involved? But there's a principle here. Be sure your sin will find you out. You can't hide from God. I can't hide from God. If we are doing something in the name of God and there is, there is the accursed thing, oh, you might be able to get away with it for a little while, but I promise you, brothers and sisters, eventually it's going to rise to the surface. Cream will always rise. Oil will always rise in water because it's lighter than water. Truth will always surface 
It might be disguised in the beginning. It might be hidden in the beginning. And sometimes there's delays. But as I said over and over again, God's delays does not mean his denials. There's a time. There's a process. And so it lands on Achan. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 11. Listen to this powerful, powerful text. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Oh, I didn't get caught doing this last week. Oh, maybe I can do it again. I didn't get caught. So you, you do it again. Oh, you're not caught. You do it again. Not caught. Oh, now I'm getting good at this. I got no fear. I'm just going to keep doing it and doing it. Do you know how many people who've been caught doing certain things? For example, I was watching a documentary of a man who was a pedophile and they caught, they finally got him and they discovered that this wasn't just, that there were hundreds of people this person abused. He just, just came to the surface after many years. You get caught by doing something, but you see, what happened years ago all those things that you did that you never thought you'd get caught what happened you get a little cockier you get a bit more overconfident and you start doing things but eventually my friend you can be sure your sin will find you out numbers chapter 23 whatever you sow Galatians 6 you shall reap for God will not be mocked Now, I've got to park here for a minute because what was happening? God, this was a new thing, is it not true? Transition. And God, folks, this is important. And this is a very important life lesson. This was a new thing in Israel. They brought him into the promised land. Now, God dealt with all the people that disobeyed God in the wilderness, but God wanted to set a precedent. I repeat, God wanted to set a precedent. Stay with me. I'm going to go deeper with you. So God eventually Achan had to pay for his sins but this was the beginning they're in the wilderness they've now been uh, they've gone through a transition they're now in the promised land this is fresh this is new and so God had to make a statement about his desire for holiness now let's go to the New Testament the church has just been formed can you recall something that happened in the early church, right in the, I'll give you, it's in the book of Acts, I'll even give you the chapter, in the book of Acts chapter 5, something happened, does anybody know what happened in chapter 5 in the book of Acts, God was dealing with some people that weren't very honest, what happened sister, Ananias and Sapphira, they stole some money that didn't belong to them, from some land that they, that they bought that was supposed to be given to the Lord, Peter by the Holy Spirit, realized they didn't give the money, and they lied, they deceived, and what happened? They died. This was right in the beginning of the early church. This experience here with Achan was in the beginning of this transition with Israel. Ananias and Sapphira, the beginning of the church. God was setting a precedent right in the beginning. 
I, without holiness, no man shall see God. He's letting a precedent that God is looking for a life, a person who's sanctified, a person who's walking with Him, a person who's living in holiness and righteousness. He's, he was looking for someone like that in the Old Testament, and He's looking for someone like that in the New Testament. That has not changed. We've changed. Look how the early church operated. Just look. When Peter was brought into jail, they prayed and fasted all night, crying out to God. They didn't go to lobby on the streets. They didn't go try to call the governor. Excuse me, governor. I'm pastor so so he said I've got some authority here you know can you please release me they went on their face and they called the king of kings and the lord of lords they fasted they prayed God hasn't changed we've changed we've changed God is setting a precedent here in this time of transition in the life of Israel that God is looking for holiness and righteousness imagine how people felt imagine when they saw this happen and so now he has to do something now Joshua's got to do something okay so now he's revealed he knows exactly we see the source the sorrow the solution the selection and then notice verses 19 to 21 we see the statement of guilt statement of guilt verse 19 to 21 now Achan has an opportunity to to say something he's tried to hide it he wouldn't have said anything unless he's caught he wouldn't have said one thing unless he was caught now he's caught and in verse number 19, I want you to see what he says. Look what he says, verse 19. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done, hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When, notice now when I notice I when I saw among the spoils a godly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight then I noticed I I coveted them then took them and behold they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it hmm. Achan stands before Joshua. And Joshua says, All right, give glory to God, make confession. Make confession, make confession. And I want to break that down. I see four things. I want to break certain things down under the statement of guilt. Four things I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. I saw it. I lusted and coveted after it. I took it and then I hid it. I saw it. Oh, and it pleased me and I took it. I coveted it. And then I didn't want to be seen, so then I, I hid it. So nobody can know what I did. I did it secretly. 
I made sure nobody was there. You know, friends, people who commit sin always try to hide their sin. Always. Always. And what is it that Achan had a basic dissatisfaction with his own life? Just like with Israel. You see the parallels? God delivered Israel out of Egypt, blessed them. They saw the power and the miraculous hand of God. And as they're in their journeys and their travels, Israel, Moses, why are we here? We remember how well we were off in Egypt. Really? You were better off, you were being beaten and yet you're deprived. They, well, we remember the leaks we had. Really? When did you have leaks? Maybe once a year? We remember the cucumbers and did you really? Did you remember the beatings and the, did you remember the times that, that, that your family was abused by the taskmaster? Do you remember that? Do you remember when you had to do the bricks in the heat of the, the sun and you had no straw? Do you remember that? Oh, Achan wasn't happy. He wanted something more. He wasn't content with what God had given him. He wasn't content with what took place in his life. He wanted more like the Israelites. And God gave Israel more when they complained about the manna. And God gave them quail. They wanted meat. I want meat like I want. And God gave them quail and they choked on it and they died. Ingratitude. Ingratitude. There are people who are not satisfied with what God's given them. They're not content. They're always comparing themselves to other people. Oh, but you know, look what he has. I've been serving God all my life and I don't have, look what I live in this. I don't have much. Look what she's got. She only goes to church once a month. I teach Sunday school. What, what, what do I got? Comparing ourselves, thinking that because you're teaching, you're more spiritual, or somehow you deserve more from God because you're doing something that might be a little better. Or something. Friends, it doesn't work. Why do you think the Apostle Paul said, I've learned? This is the Apostle Paul who called himself a chief of sinners, by the way. This is the greatest man of God who ever lived. He called himself a chief of sinners. Talk about humility. A man who saw things that nobody saw. A man who was translated into heaven. Saw things that he couldn't even describe. They were so powerful. And... No. I'm content, he said. Whatever state I've learned, whatever state, if I'm in the penthouse, I'm giving him praise. If I'm in the doghouse, I'm giving him praise. If I'm in a flood, I'm giving him praise. If I'm in a, in a heat wave, I'm giving him praise. But if God happens to bless me and I've got a bounty, I'm going to give him praise. If I got much, I'm going to praise him. If I got nothing, I'm going to praise him. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. I was born naked, I'm going home naked. It doesn't matter, I'm going to praise the name of the Lord.
That's what Paul said. I've learned it. I went through experiences. I've learned it. I've learned it. But Achan wasn't satisfied. He wanted more. Now I want you to notice what he did. Achan took the gold and the silver. And what does that suggest? Materialism. He took the robe that was fashionable. The Babylonian robe. They were the, the kings and queens of fashion came from Babylon. The Hebrews had no fashion. To be honest with you, they had pretty measly ugly robes. I'll be honest with you. They weren't much. Well, how can they be? But the Babylonians, man, they had the latest. They had Gucci and they had Versace. Oh, man, they had it. Let me tell you, they had, they, they had George Armani suits, you know, uh, you know, of that day, of course. And Aiken liked George Armani. He wanted to get a nice suit. I mean, look at my brothers. They got, they're, they're, they're getting suits from Tip Top, you know, you know from, from Walmart. I, don't, I, don't, I want to have a Gucci. And so he lusted and wanted, certain, I don't know, something that... Scratch my head because where are you going to wear your, your, your Gucci shoes? You're going to wear it among the people. You don't think they're going to know that you took it from Babylon? Are you, are you, bl- you see what sin does? It blinds you. Sin fascinates, but then it assassinates. Sin thrills, <gasps> Gucci, but then it kills. Sin caused him to become delusional thinking that he can even use this stuff <sighs> he wanted to be wealthy he wanted to be recognized perhaps but he had a robe he couldn't wear and he had money that he couldn't spend Aiken said I saw I coveted Oh, my friends, be careful what, what covetous can do. It takes away your joy. You're not content with what God has given you. Always wanting more, always wanting more. And Haggai spoke of this. He said, you want more, but your pockets are like holes. And the more money you make, it just goes through the pockets. You never contain it. A covetous person will want more money, but God says, I'm going to tear your pockets. And, and the money you put into your, your pockets, they're just going to seep through. They're going to fall through. They're going to be holes in your pockets. That's what happens. You see, you see the point is, when you're a covetous person that you're never satisfied it's like the sexual depravity of our day see see these people that are practicing sexual immorality on a, on a, on a, on a major scale they're never satisfied and so what happens is they, they, they end up trying to have new experiences because I've done this so much, I want something new. So let me try a younger girl. Oh, let me try a little boy. Let let me... And it goes from one state of depravity to another state of depravity, and you're never satisfied. Their lust, God has given them over to a reprobate mind because their lust was out of control. They've got no control anymore. Their lust has gone beyond. And now they have sex with anything. Because it's something new, something different. 
That's what covetous does too. You're never satisfied. You always want more and more and more and more. And so then he took it. That's how it manifested. It took, he took it, he took it, he took it. Oh my friends, gold one day will lose its charm. I guarantee you that. He wanted gold. He was charming. Gold and diamonds one day will lose its sparkle. It attracts you. And he took it. You see, you see, the sin isn't the fact that he was tempted. We all get tempted. That's not sin. It's yielding to temptation that is sin. That's the sin. Every one of us in this room have been tempted in some capacity. Certain things, maybe not to this degree, but you'd be a liar if you told me you haven't been tempted in something that isn't pure. I wouldn't believe you. I just wouldn't. And if you told me, no, pastor, I don't really... You're not truthful with yourself. As long as you are a human being and you've got a heart and you've got flesh, remember, the heart is wicked. Who can know it? you will be tempted and you'll be tempted with things that are not pure Jesus was tempted in every way but he never succumbed to his temptation and the devil tempted Jesus in the desert in three areas wealth food gluttony is a sin how many we don't, we don't like to talk about that but sin so, and anything that that is excess in the flesh is sin and so he was tempted but he didn't yield to temptation Achan was tempted and he yielded to his lust he yielded and it manifested and that was the problem and then he hid it he tried to hide his sin Isn't it amazing that we tend to do that when we sin? What happened to Adam when he sinned? He, he said, something happened to him. He tried to cloak, get wanted to cover him. Sin. What would you want to cover up for? What, what, there, was, there, was, there was no reason to cover. We never had any desire to make clothes. The minute he sinned, oh, oh gosh, I'm naked here. What, what, what just happened? And he wanted to get away from God. And so God comes to the garden to walk in the cool day. Adam! He knew exactly where he was, just wanted to speak. Adam, where are you? He knows, he knows where Adam is. He wanted Adam to confess his sin. I'm here, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm, I made a ter- I've sinned against you. I... The mercy of God will always try to bring you back. The mercy of God will always try to come back home. There's always a father standing on top of the mountain waiting for his son to come home God is always waiting for someone to come home yes he's a God of justice but he's a God of mercy he saw and he lost it he took it and he hid it he tried to cover his sin but the Bible says he proverbs that covereth his sin shall not prosper shall not prosper and notice verses 22 23 and 24 
they took up him and his family and laid the silver and all those clothes and they burned it and what was the result of all this what was the result huh. watch this Israel just lost 36 men they've been humiliated before the Canaanites all because of this man's sin greed and lust what's the point there are consequences to your sin and friends let me tell you his family suffered his family suffered because of him mom dad I'm telling you now be careful how you live how you act before your children because your children could be affected by your example your children can be affected by how you live and how you deal with your children do you know how many children have grown up and they've seen things at home that are inconsistent and affected them? You heard my story, true story, of, of this father who was a drunk and he had two children and, and he abused them both and they grew up. One child became a, a, a well successful businessman with, and he went, ended up going to church. The other one became a drunk and, and people came to talk to them after. A, a reporter came because it was a big story, a true story and they asked the drunk, the, the son, says, why have you ended up this day what happened he says well obviously because my father was a drunk and it affected me and I became a drunk they interviewed the other son who was a successful entrepreneur went to church and had a great family he says what happened to you what you had the same father but what happened he said well you know that my father was a drunk but I said to myself after he abused me for the tenth time that I will never be like my father and he made decisions he made a choice he made a choice there are choices to make my friends in life you cannot blame certain things but in this case one son was influenced by his father and became a drunk and the other one was influenced by his father but he was influenced to change the bottom line brothers and sisters more things are caught than taught and I don't care what it is it people you 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 your friends family they need to see something in you there's gotta be something that's real in you there's the truth needs to be seen in you they will know you by your fruits it doesn't mean perfection everybody makes I'll use the word mistake but the bottom line is this there still needs to be something in you that's visible something in you that draws people to God there needs to be something in you that people can say yeah 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 this man this woman I see Jesus in them doesn't mean you're perfect you'll make your mistakes you will fall a righteous man will fall seven times the Bible says and that's why Micah said oh oh rejoice not against me oh my enemy for when I fall I shall arise and I will be a light unto them but Achan was a horrible example to his family and it affected them and it affected them in many ways all the family were destroyed you say that's cruel pastor let me remind you what it says in Exodus the sins of the fathers will be visited upon their children and their children's children I want to tell you something this is true and I've talked to some people over the years kids I'm never listen man I've done a lot of counseling in my day you would 
if you've been in ministry, even for three years, you'll be... And I can tell you, I know some people that I've ministered to and counseled, and I can tell you, when you look at that person, what they do, you can go back to their father and their father's father, and you'll see that they were doing the exact thing. The exact same thing. We like to call it generational curses. Call it as you want. It needs to be broken. I can tell you, my friend, if a father lives in a certain sin and does certain things, that's going to touch and affect the children. And it's only by the grace of God. That, that son that, gave his li- that, that was a successful entrepreneur gave his life to Jesus Christ. That curse was broken. That tendency was broken. There are some things that need to be broken in the spirit realm. And so the family was affected. And they were brought before judgment as well. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 The Lord will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart and then shall every man have praise of the Lord. So it affected every single person. God brought to surface what was hidden. Verses 24 and 26, the Bible says that they took Achan and family, all the animals and possessions, and destroyed them, and they were stoned and burned. All the clothing and all the things that they took. The point is, my friends, if sin is not destroyed, it will destroy you. I repeat, if sin is not destroyed, then sin will destroy you. You can't run away from your sin. You can't take sin and put it underneath the carpet. You can't take that propensity to do wrong and just try to justify it by saying, well, my father did it. That person across the street's doing it. You've got to take responsibility for your own life. And if you take your sin and you put it under the carpet, it's not going to go away. It's going to keep resurfacing over and over again till you deal with it. And only by the grace of God are you able to deal with it. I say, Pastor, but what did the family really do? Well, it's hard to understand. I understand. They seem to be innocent, but were they innocent? I need to ask you, where do you think he brought these things? All this clothing and this money, he brought it into his tent. They saw things. The tent that they lived in was very small. There is no way you can hide all those things. They knew, according to what scholars say, and I believe them, not all of them, most of them, they said that the family knew exactly what Achan was doing, and they didn't do anything about it. That the family were well aware, especially his wife, what was going on, but they didn't do anything about it. And you know something, a crime today that's committed? A crime isn't only committed by the perpetrator. If you know the person's done a crime and if something's wrong and it's caused and you don't do anything about that, you are equally as guilty according to the law. That's why I'm told as a pastor, if I know of any kind of abuse that's going on in the home of somebody, I need to report that. 
It's my duty. If I don't, I'm, I'm equally guilty. And many scholars believe this is the reason why the entire family was dealt this way. Now this is what's significant, brothers and sisters. When God does something new, again, I repeat this, He wants to deal with something so that everybody understood like he did with the church that God is setting a precedent he's looking for a people of holiness he's looking for righteousness he's looking for people that will follow his way that's why Jesus said there's two paths in life there's the broad path that leads to damnation but there's the narrow path that leads to eternal life and most people are on the broad path most people are living a life that's pleasing themselves they don't want anything to do with God they want to do their own thing and they're suffering the consequences they're singing the great song that Frank Sinatra sang and most of you don't know who he is I did it my way and that's what Aiken did he saw it I saw it I took it and I hid it I I that's the way the world operates it's all about me myself and I the unholy trinity me myself and I and if you live just for yourself and you're living just for what's best for you, my friend, not only will you be miserable, but you can certainly, you'll be sure that your life will not please God because you'll be too self-centered, you'll be arrogant, and you'll be very proudful. And a proud, haughty spirit, the Bible says, God does not look upon but rather he that is of a contrite spirit who trembles at his word. And Achan was not that man. He wanted to be like the Babylonians. He wanted money. He wanted wealth. He wanted prestige. He was tempted. And he succumbed to his temptations. Remember what sin is. Sin isn't being tempted. It's yielding to your temptation. Remember that. And Achan yielded to his temptation. I got to close. Do you know that Achan in the Hebrew means troubler? Imagine that. Joshua called Achan by his name a troubler. And only God can change your, your heart. Only God can make a difference. Jacob was known as what? A deceiver. That was his name. But God turned him into what? An Israel. Prince with God. How did that happen? How did that happen? When Jacob at the brook of Peniel began to cry out to God and he wrestled with the Lord and God turned him around. You see friends, God can turn you around. God can change things around. God can turn and restore the years that the locusts have eaten in your life. Lessons as I close. Lessons that begin with I. What is the application? What's the application of this story? Number one, the impact of sin of one can affect many. The impact of sin can affect many people. We think if we do it my own thing, my thing, nobody's looking, it's my business, it's got nothing to do with others. Yes, that could be true. But friends, let me tell you, It will affect other people. What you do affects other people. Fathers, what you do in your home affects your family. Mothers, what you do in your home, oh, you may not even believe it, you may not even see it, but I guarantee you, it affects other people. 
when you do sins and things that are not right you may not it affects other people you never sin unto yourself there's always others involved it affects other people the impact of sin is not just one per it affects it contaminates it pollutes as it did Achan's family number two we learn of the impracticality in hiding from God imagine that Achan was one out of two and a half million people how is Joshua gonna find out who did this terrible thing he prayed God gave him the direction God spoke to him God showed him but he thought hey I'm pretty secure here he hid it nobody knew except maybe his family who's gonna not gonna tell anybody so going to get away with it be sure your sin will find you out the Bible says oh he didn't find out right away it took some time didn't it but you can be sure if something that I do or you do that is displeasing something that's wrong and you keep doing it you think you're gonna get away with it oh you might get away with it first few weeks a few months maybe a few years but I promise you by the authority of God's Word one day cream will rise that oil will rise and truth will prevail the impracticality of trying to hide from your sin how many times have you heard me say this the secret of being a saint is being a saint in can I hear it again the secret of being a saint is being a saint in see what you do behind closed doors is really who you are when nobody's looking That's, that's who you are no fanfare nobody to try to impress just you and God and how you live when nobody's watching you nobody looking is the essence of who you are because it's just you and God there's nobody around there to try to impress or try to do something no no it's just Number three, the impossibility of victory without confession. The impossibility of victory without confession. Verse 12 and 13, God said, If you don't deal with this, I won't be with you anymore. I will not go with you. I will not bless you any longer. You see, friends, sin has its consequences. And God said, even though he, he promised to bless Joshua, He said, yeah, 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 I'll be with you. But Joshua, if you don't deal with the sin, I'm not going to go with you. Can you imagine that? this is Joshua he's speaking to and some of us think because we've been in the church for so long I've been a pastor for 30 years I've been preaching it that we somehow think we're, we're, we're you know immune to these things 
Well, I've been serving God all my life, and I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Sunday, I'm a board member, and I, I'm a this, I'm a that. We think somehow that because we have been doing this for so long that we are invincible, that we are not vulnerable to certain things. Uh, no, my friend. No, 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 friends. If there's sin and it's not confessed, I don't care if you're a board member, I don't care if you're a preacher, a plumber, a pastor, or a peasant. If you don't confess your sin, God cannot continue to walk with you. Sin severs your relationship with God. Period. I don't, and that's how some of these men have fallen. Because of sin. Unconfessed sin that eventually God brought to the surface. Lastly, the importance of understanding where true success comes from. We are never more vulnerable than when the walls of Jericho come down. We are never more vulnerable when success is knocking at our door. We are never more vulnerable when we are blessed. We are never more vulnerable to think that we have something special, that we are the cat's meow, that we, we are, are, are so great and so mighty. We are very, if when we experience lots of success, be careful that you don't fall through pride and arrogance. That's what happened to Israel. They had a great victory in Jericho, and then they got too cocky, and they said, oh, we can defeat AI, there's no problem. And they went in their own strength and their cockiness, and they lost the battle. You see, my brothers and my sisters, with every success, there is a price to pay. And Satan doubles his efforts to attack us, I believe. So we can think that somehow you don't need God. You can do it on your own. We need to be wise as serpents and harmless as does. Isn't this what happened to David? Does anybody remember David? David's kingdom was growing mightily. And in 2 Samuel, I believe it's the 24th, 24th chapter, the Bible says the devil tempted him to take a census. Hey, David, you're a mighty king. Look how great you are. You know, why don't you count how many people live in your kingdom so you can boast to the rest of the world how big Israel is? Hey, pastor. Why don't you let everybody know how big your church is, how great it is, how many programs, how much, how much you give to the offering, to missions. Let everybody know how vast your empire is. David made a terrible mistake. Many people died because of that. Remember, you don't sin to yourself. David's sin caused others to fall. Do you see the pattern, friends? Whatever you sow, you will reap. And that's what happened with King Uzziah. And I close with this. Second Chronicles chapter 26, the first few verses, the Bible says God blessed King Uzziah, even made his name famous. 
God used this man, his fame spread, so many things were happening in Israel, in Judah rather, things were happening, God just anointed him and blessed him and strengthened him and used him and guess what, the 15th verse, something happened to Uzziah, he started walking a little different and he made in Jerusalem engines and invented by cunning men to be on the towers upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones with all and his name spread far abroad he became famous this man but he was marvelously helped watch this now until he was strong what? he was marvelously helped till he became strong in what way? in his head oh hey, hey hold on a second I don't need God I can do this on my own Look, look what I've done, look what I've done, look at what, I got a PhD, I can do this, I've got education, I've got power, I've got, I got more. And God said, you think you did it? You, th you think you did it? I'm going to lift my hand from you. My power will no longer be with you. Your arrogance has removed my blessing from your life. Your pride has disqualified you. And God lifted his hand and he became so arrogant, he thought he can do the priest's job. No king was allowed to do the priest's job. He went up to the temple to do what the priest would do and God smote him with leprosy. And he died a leper and nobody cared about his death. And he was the most famous man and at his death nobody cared about him. Wow! Look what sin will do in your life. Arrogance. And so... What am I trying to say? Give God the glory. Every good gift comes from above. Do you think your gifts impress God? You think God impressed? God gave you those gifts. So I don't know who you're trying to impress here. God has given you the gifts. Use it for His glory. God has given you abilities. Use it for His glory. And when God blesses you, give Him thanks. Don't say, oh, Did you see what I did? get away from that that's exactly what the devil wants and you start walking that way little by little you're going to become so proud may not start that way but pride feeds off pride and before you know it you're going to say well look I don't need God look what I can do and you're going to believe and you're going to become delusional and you're going to lose a sense of reality and then one day God's going to come he's going to lift his hand from you and you're going to see that everything you've had and experienced is because of the grace and because of the mercy of God. That's why I love that song. It talks about because I'm breathing, I have a reason to praise the Lord. For He's given me breath. He's given me the ability to walk. He's given me the ability to see. He's given me the ability to feel. He's blessed me. He's given me a home. I may not have a home like the Joneses across the street, but I got a home. I can sleep at night. I got food in my fridge. I got air to breathe. I can walk. I can get out of bed. People can't get out of bed. I can get out of bed. I can walk. I can go to work. People don't have work. I've got things and sometimes I take them for granted and sometimes I think I can earn these things and we don't realize that everything we have is a gift from God. Don't ever forget it, my friend. Don't ever forget God's love and mercy and what He's done for you. Let's all stand together.